Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we give coaches and consultants practical ideas for taking you to the next level in your business and in your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who've walked in your shoes and offer real-world experience that you can apply to your own journey. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. And today I am going to share with you a special conversation that I had with Dr. Mark Golston. Mark and I have become good friends over the past few years. And every time we talk, I've learned to record our conversations because we usually come up with some pretty interesting insights or observations that are worth sharing with others. And this time was no different. So it didn't start out as an interview, uh, but I am including it here as one of the episodes because it is rich with information you will really enjoy and find valuable. Mark starts off talking about his two new projects, which are both fascinating. And then we delve into aspects of human relationships that are important for everyone, no matter what you do in life. We talk about the importance of kindness and generosity and just enjoying another person. And then Mark shares a couple of really important questions that you can ask yourself first after you've had a conversation with someone else to evaluate how you were as a listener with them. And then also as a parent, if you have children, evaluating your relationship with your spouse from their perspective. So I think you're going to find this particular interview really valuable. You may even want to take some notes. I am here with my good friend, Mark Goulston, and there's just no telling what we're going to discuss today. (laughs) Well, there's going to be some telling because I'm about to tell you. (laughs) Great. I am eager to hear it. So um, uh, one thing that people can check out and you've been supportive, I've started a global movement called What Made You Smile Today? Yes, tell me about that. And there's a TEDx talk. Uh, If you look up Goulston, G-O-U-L-S-T-O-N, What Made You Smile Today? You can find it. So it finally got released. Uh, We have an Instagram that we'll be launching more widely called at at W-M-Y-S-T Global. W-M-Y-S-T is What Made You Smile Today? We have a, uh, it's a nonprofit.org because uh, we don't want to be selling anything, you know, because the world needs a smile and it's okay if you're in the business world, but the world needs the smile more than they need to be sold something. So uh, that really resonates with me. Um, I don't know if you've seen, I don't know if you saw my, I have a video where I, I got a thousand Russians to stand up and smile. No, I haven't seen that one. I'll have to send that to you because I spoke in Moscow along with a Nobel prize winner, Daniel Kahneman. And, and then there was another fellow, Joe Pine. He wrote the experience economy mm-hmm. and we were the three headliners. And it was interesting because the Russians say, 
but we hope you're not trying to engage the audience, doctor. You know, you're a, a thought leader on listening. And I said, all I do is engage. All right. So I'll have to send you the video. You'll send a link to it. But if you picture this, Joe Pine, he, he went first. He talked about the experience economy, the people buy experiences. They don't, you know, they, they'll spend five bucks for a cup of coffee at Starbucks for the experience. And I'm pretty agile on my feet, as you well know. So I'm up next, and I say to the audience, picture this, a thousand Russians, and Russians don't smile. And I said, um, you know, I love what Joe said, and he's right. And I hope you really understood the importance of experiences. But it's not the same thing as having one, and you're going to have one right now. And I said, I'd like you all to stand up, go over to someone you don't know, and say, what made you smile today? And they stared at me like a deer in the headlights. And I went, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Get up, get up. You know, I have a talk to give. Let's not take all day. I went, boop, boop, boop. And in the video, you'll see the clip. They get up, they get up. They're laughing. You know, they're so, they're so built up with stress. And then I tried to shut them up. And I said, okay, fine. Shh, shh, sit down. I got a talk to give. And some of them just wouldn't sit down, and that's the video. And um, uh, so, uh, and the power of it is, uh, in fact, in my TEDx talk, you know, one of the things I talk about is, because people say, isn't this the same thing as gratitude? It is, but gratitude is, is more heavy, because when you say to someone about their feeling gratitude, they often take it as feeling that you're telling them, you should be more grateful. So they spin it the wrong way. But everybody smiles about something. In fact, I had one guy, I said it to, because I go around giving out wristbands, you know, uh, to people who, who a waitress, the TSA agent, when they're not stressed up. I said to one guy, I said, uh, what made you smile today? And he said, nothing. And then he just laced into me and you got a lot of nerve, blah, 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 blah. And he just went into me. And I said, you just got a lot off your chest that landed on me. You got to be feeling some relief. Didn't that make you smile? And he looks at me and he, and he stops. And then he smiles and laughs. He says, that is the biggest gotcha I think I've had in a year. <laughs> <laughs> so it works. But the thing I wanted to speak to you about is... I'm at the beginning of forming something called the Count Me In Global Community. And what happened is, you know, uh, I'm not a spring chicken. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be 72 in two weeks. And people say, no. I'm telling you, I look good on the outside, but I'm just falling apart inside. I'm going to be 72. <laughs> and so I was thinking... Who are the people that I look forward to seeing? And who are the people that I don't? So I identified five criteria and I started sending them out to people that I thought would identify with them. And the five criteria, uh, the first one is they have to be financially secure enough so the conversation doesn't quickly turn transactional into, can you make a referral? Oh, you got such great contact. Can you introduce me? Oh, can you do blah, 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 blah? 
Now, that's fine if we knew that the conversation was about a transaction. Mm-hmm. But if you're just interacting with someone, and it's okay if you're going to a networking event because that's what they do, which is why I never go to networking events. Um, so they can't be so financially hungry that the conversation just switches to a transaction. Mm-hmm. But the other four things uh, are, the, uh, are the main things is they have to be insatiably curious about things beyond business. They have to want to be recapturing what I'm seeing in my one-year-old grandson, which is just this amazement about life. I just watch him discovering things. I didn't do that with my own kids because I was busy earning a living, but I, I adore this kid. And, and I just watch him and he discovers something and he looks at me like, is that neat? And, and or he bumps himself and he wants to cry, he looks at me and I'm like, am I okay? So they have to be insatiably curious. That's the second. The third thing is they have to have a personal commitment and passion about personal development. So they have, these are people who will say, 30 years ago, I was a jerk. I needed to be a jerk and it made me money. But, you know, I got divorced. I don't speak to kids from my first marriage. One's on drugs. And, you know, I got enough money. Maybe it's time for me to, grow up. So they have to have a passion about that instead of, instead of like our president, never admitting they're wrong or anything. That's the third thing. The fourth thing is they not only have to be comfortable with vulnerability, they have to prefer it. So they have to be people who just want to be comfortable in their own skin everywhere. Just be comfortable being yourself and mm. not everybody's going to like you and some people are going to you know, dislike you. But uh, And then the fifth thing is they already have to be committed and already helping the world. So it can't be a wannabe, oh, you know, you know geez, I got a lot of money. Maybe I should be help the world in some way. So they already have to be doing that. So those are the five things, financially secure, curious, passion for personal development, prefer vulnerability, and helping the world. So when I've shared this with people, they said, count me in. And these are people who are very busy. They don't say, count me into anything. And and actually, I think what it takes care of is if medical science improves – There's good and bad news when you turn 60. And it's the same. The good news if you're 60 is you got another 30 years. The bad news is you got another 30 years. (laughs) And this is especially true, sadly, about men. They feel hollow. Yeah, maybe it's a little empty, maybe it's a little lonesome, but they feel hollow. You look into some tech giant's eyes. You look into Bill Gates' eyes. He wants to go toe-to-toe with Steve Jobs. But there's no fight for him to have. He's supporting his foundation. And I I think the world of these people, but when you look at them, there's a painful quality about feeling hollow. And part of the hollowness is they don't know how to be real. Why be real when you can make a billion dollars? 
But what happens is as you get older and you realize you're not close to anyone, including yourself. I mean, you are just not close to anyone. Now, a lot of people can keep busy, you know, and God bless them and, you know, get, you know, geez, yeah, you know, you're 85. Yeah, go get that $3,000 bottle of wine that you can put in your cellar and you can tell people you have. Yeah, go for it. Not, you know, but that's, but this isn't for those people. And so, anyway, I'm just sharing it with you because I think it's touching a nerve. There was one guy who wrote back and he said, I'm homesick for a home I never had. Mm. And this could, and this could be it. So is your, your target demographic men that are 60 and over? It can be anyone. Now, again, everybody's welcome, but see a lot of women, they're fortunate. They don't search for the meaning and purpose of life. They already have it in life. They know how to connect. They're close to their kids. Mm-hmm. They can have conversations with their kids where they don't get distracted like their husbands or ex-husbands do. They, uh, I'm a, you know, I love my wife and her identity. She was meant to be a mother and a grandmother. Uh, and, and I'm the beneficiary because I have a pretty functional home. I got kids who are launched they have each other's back. They don't do drugs. Um, and she's really responsible for it. And, but she, you know, and I'm not saying she's superficial, but she doesn't have to understand the meaning of life or the purpose because she's got it already. And so this is, you know, women are not excluded. And there are, I'll tell you, there are some transactional women who, but a lot of it is because they're financially insecure. They're single moms, mm-hmm. uh, bad divorce, so they couldn't really count on their ex. Uh, and so they're having, they're having to survive. And so that, that sometimes causes them to be intense, but they're just not present. Now, if those people, if those women find a way to get financially secure, and then they start to look around and instead of justifying the life they chose and they look around and they see other people their age really just connecting to their grandchildren or their children, you know, or actually being close as opposed to everybody just comparing and competing with uh, their trips, their possessions. And look what I did. You know, and if you're in Hollywood, you can get enough, you can get enough plastic surgery that you can actually pull your ears off your head. (laughs) So anyway, that's what I'm up to, Meredith. And you're and 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 if you're listening in, I'm going to give you a compliment. You're going to like this because I did I did an interview with Ken Blanchard three weeks ago, and he is one of the most kind and loving leaders or trainers of leaders I've ever. He's the real deal. And we just had this great conversation, and I said, I said, Ken. You're the poster child for kindness. I mean, you're the real deal. You don't just talk about authenticity. You just overflow with kindness. Mm. And Meredith, you are the same person. Mm. Thank you. 
In fact, I would love, you know, I think the world of you and, uh, and I would love your, your market to be people who do amazing things in spite of what you teach them. <laughs> Tell me more about that. See, you don't realize it because it's just you. You have an unselfish enthusiasm and belief in people and a belief in their potential. And it's unwavering. And you just do it naturally, but it is rare. Mm. And it's not only rare, it heals people. And I'm not taking away from your terrific intellectual property, but there's a kindness to you that's, uh, and as incredibly professional as you are and skilled, and there's a lot to learn from you, uh, it's, and, and it's amazing those things. It's a, I'll say it's a close second because you're that good professionally, but your kindness is unbelievable. Kindness and generosity. If you're listening in, Meredith has made more introductions for me to me without ever asking anything in return. I mean, it, that's special. Thank you. You know, what you're saying makes me think about some of the feedback that I've gotten from some of my guests on my podcast because, and the reason I love doing my podcast so much is because it allows me to elevate my guest and also raise awareness, provide valuable information for my listeners. And what you just described, the kindness, the generosity, I think of it as just being really present with someone and tuning in it's the opposite of transactional you know it's it's connecting on a on a meaningful level with the other person so they they are um what's the right word they just feel so valued because i'm genuinely looking for i'm curious i'm genuinely looking for what are the things about them that I can bring to light that they may or may not be aware of about themselves so that I have become even more, uh, I don't know if it requires courage, but I've become more aware of the importance as I'm getting older of stating the things that I see in someone else that are so valuable that they may or may not yet appreciate in themselves. Yeah, so what happens is you, you see and believe in people's values and you feel a commitment to bringing it out so, it, so they can both realize it about themselves mm -hmm. and so it can be shared with the world and you do it naturally. Mm -hmm. Yes. And you don't know how special that is. No, I guess not. <laughs> no, 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 it, it, it truly is. You know, uh, Warren Bennis was my last mentor, and people know the, of his name. And uh, a year after he died, I had an anniversary reaction. And I know those things exist because in psychology, some people will have an anniversary reaction 
a year after a death or a year after something. And I've helped people as a therapist through those, but I never had one. But I had one a year after he died. I just felt badly. And I actually wrote, I wrote a blog on my anniversary reaction to his death. And I'm sure he knows this, but I wish I'd been able to tell him. What I realized that Warren gave me most no, I thought it was great to have his esteem. You know, he seemed to respect me. Um, but what I realized he gave me most, and you also have this, is he enjoyed me. Mm-hmm. I, put, I put a smile on his face, and it was. And yeah, we could talk about anything, but I, as Mark, not Mark working on this terrific project or whatever. Uh, but I, as Mark, put a smile on his face, and there was something healing about it, because too many people have grown up feeling that they never put a smile on their parents' face. Mm. Their parents felt burdened. Their parents felt scared. And, and you do that. Is that I think, and I, I so appreciate that about you, I've... I have felt valued, but I've also felt enjoyed by you. Yes, that's true. You know, that's a good point because I think everyone I'm with, I'm always looking for what's special about this person that I can um, absorb because it's very rare that I meet somebody who doesn't have some quality that I can uncover to and it's just the way they are, you know, who they are and what I can discover. So it goes back to that being genuinely curious um, about another person. If I'm going to spend time with someone, I want to learn about, you know, what makes them tick, who they are and what's important to them. And just a few, sometimes just one question gets things rolling and they start talking. And I think my body language, my real presence with them conveys, I'm with you. And I think that that, that may be part of what you're, you're talking about because so often people are waiting for their turn to speak. Yeah, one of my favorite quotes from Warren, um, He said, boredom occurs when I fail to make the other person interesting. Oh, I love that. That's wonderful. (laughs) Oh, that is is perfect. That is perfect, yeah. yeah. Well, another version of that is something out of The Prosperous Coach by Steve Chandler and Rich Lifton. I don't know if I've ever shared this with Mm -hmm. you. Um, This was in the context of teaching coaches how to get more clients. And it's having these conversations that are really serving the client, whether they're a paying client at that point or not. And the quote is, um, to ask yourself this question, how can I serve this person so powerfully that they never forget our conversation for the rest of their life? And that's getting at what Warren talked about, this idea of looking at how can I, you know, 
enjoy this other person? How can I make them interesting? By asking questions that help them feel valued. And honestly, that's a question I ask myself before any conversation I have. You know, not, not sales conversations before a podcast, before an initial call that I might have some, with someone that I got introduced to or met on LinkedIn. It's in, and what it does is it frames my thinking so that I'm not looking at how, what can I get out of this? It's what yeah. can I bring to the conversation that's going to cause this person to feel really good at the end of it? So there is a, God, you're so much better at this than I am that I'm envious. Um, (laughs) There's a coaching tip that I give people if they want to develop themselves. And I say, uh, I think you should do this in every conversation. Every time you finish a conversation, rate yourself from the other person's point of view. If you were to ask the other person, how much do they feel heard out on a scale of one to 10? Mm. Where one is you interrupted them too much, 10 is they felt heard out. Two, how much do they feel understood and valued? Three, how much do they feel that you added value to what they were saying as opposed to getting competitive. Mm. You're the real deal. I, um, I still have to improve in the number three because I have all these pithy things. I got a you know, name drop. I got all this stuff and I get away with it because some of the stuff's, you know, you, you like that quote that I just gave you. I mean, I'm filled with all these little things and, and, but, some of it comes from still too much of an uh, an ego. Mm. Need to be so articulate. Uh, now, if you happen to be articulate, which I occasionally am, I get away with it. But uh, I'd rather my intentions were pure. And you are the pure thing. I'm just thinking, as I think about you, I can... I I can say, as I've experienced you, and I think other people would say it, I feel heard out by Meredith. I feel understood and valued. And yes, she doesn't compete. I feel she adds to what I had to say. Thank you. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it in those three areas, but... I guess, yeah, I, I do, um, I do that. Mm-hmm. Where I, did you, were you always that way? Did you have a mom or dad that was really present? Or uh, My mother had six kids. <laughs> she was more like your wife. It sounds like, you know, very busy taking care of the kids. My dad traveled a fair amount with his job. Um, you know, I always felt deeply loved. I have always been grateful for growing up in a home where there were not the same issues that I hear about in so many other families. My five siblings and I are close. We mm. don't compete. You know, we just have never had these rifts that you hear about in some families. 
And I think it was my mom and dad role modeling so much the way they loved each other. And we just all felt loved by them. They didn't have the benefit of some of the parenting, you know, books that we have. And they certainly didn't grow up in ideal settings themselves. But I, they had this commitment to each other that we always felt. And I think when there's a strong marriage, the kids pick up on that. And that has a lot to do with people feeling secure, safe, and being able then to um, move into adulthood in a, in a more uh, stable, emotionally healthy way. But I have to say, I also have been just, I'm trying to remember which number it was, number three, just consumed with my own personal development and how can I be better and how can I serve others more powerfully because it just never felt right to be trying to figure out where can I put in something about my products or, you know, where can I insert? It, it just, it always felt better for me and the other person to really concentrate on them. And I think over the I don't know, last several years, I've really practiced that a lot. And of course, you know, anything you practice and give more attention to, you get better at it. And I think that that's what's happened. And that's why with my podcast, I've just seen, golly, I get to bring all these wonderful skills and abilities to this medium that has a, just a fabulous effect, as far as I can tell, each episode. And part of it is I just get in the flow. I have kind of a structure but then I just let my intuition and my presence with the other person guide going deeper with a question or wider with other ones that are related. And consistently, my guests will say, man, it was just so easy being a guest on your show. You asked great questions. You know, I felt really comfortable. And I think it's getting at those elements you just described that being being okay within myself that I don't need to compete. I'm, you know, that's not my point. I'm not preoccupied with how am I coming across. I'm really focusing on how can I bring out the brilliance in this other person. And by doing that, it just has a whole different feel to it. You know, you just said something, and I hope listeners will realize something you just said. Um, I'm going to think about it. You just, you just revealed the secret developing mentally healthy children. And the secret, and if you're listening, you might want to rate, you might want to ask, if you're a parent, you might want to ask yourself, how would our children rate our marriage on two, there may be more, but on two parameters. How much would our children rate how much we enjoy each other? Ten is they really like each other. One is I don't think they like each other. You know, they're they're attached to each other, but I don't I just don't think they like each other. And how quickly do they forgive each other? Ten is, yeah, they can have disagreements, but they're so quick to forgive. And one is, boy, they just hold on to a grudge. 
And as you're describing it, I'm thinking if you're a child, the more you feel that your parents enjoy each other and are quick to forgive, the safer it feels. Mm -hmm. The safer it feels to just explore the world. But if on the other hand, you feel they don't like each other, they hold grudges, you're so focused on is the family going to blow up? Are they going to get divorced? Uh, they're yelling at each other. You know, where there's smoke, there's fire. If they're yelling, is one going to say, I'm leaving? And so as a result, it takes away from pure curiosity, pure imagination, pure curiosity, because it always focuses on, is it safe? You talk to the siblings. Did you hear what mom called dad or dad called mom? And, and if you're listening in, this could be really painful, but it could change your life. You can ask your children if you have the courage, or you can just answer in your mind's eye if you were to ask, if you were to ask them on a scale of one to ten how your children view your marriage in terms of how much you enjoy each other mm-hmm. and how quick you are to forgive each other because that's what you had with your parents, so it, it just made it safe. Mm-hmm. That was unbelievable what you just inspired me to articulate. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I just love what you said there because I think it's really true. There are so many things that parents may think they hide from their kids, but the kids pick it up. You know, there's a vibration, there's an energy exchange that, um, you know, this thing of forgiving is interesting too, Mark. We could have another hour-long discussion on that. Because one of the other insights I've been acquiring over time is this idea of I really need to forgive someone only when I've judged them. I've, I've evaluated the rightness or wrongness of, of what they said or did. And so then I need to forgive them. But what if I take a different approach and think, you know, this person is doing the best they can with what they have. And it prevents me from going down into a negative attitude, negative feelings, because it's my reaction to what happened. It's not, someone else could have experienced the same thing. And I think you've even talked about this before, you know, two different people experience the same event, but they come away with very different feelings because of how they're perceiving the situation. And so for me to be able to step back and not take personally, it goes back to the whole ego again and just say, this is what happened. I can control my own reactions. So if I'm not busy judging that person, that puts me in a negative state when I'm, because then I'm mentally comparing and saying they didn't do it my way. I'm, I'm judging myself as right and better. And I don't like being in that place. It's not, it doesn't bring about any good feelings or goodwill. So that's just another layer to look at when you talk about, but I know what you're saying when you say, how quick are they to forgive each other? How I heard that was how quick are they to move past little grievances or little things that happen and move on with life and not take it to heart, not be devastated by it. Because I've observed 
people in other families that I've had frequent exposure to, well, they just will not let go of things that happen and they have to dig at each other on an ongoing basis over trivial things that happened years ago and yet they never get over it. And so that has to have a different kind of impact than people who can take, maybe it's a lighter approach. You know, they don't take themselves quite so seriously or take the other person and and not that they discount them. But what I mean is they don't get hung up on every word that the person says. There's someone I met and I love giving credit when I can remember people, but I can't. And he was the head of one of these LA big service serves the community thing. And when I was with him, he reminds me of you and you remind me of him. And I said, you seem so serene. And I said, what's your secret? And it's a little bit like what you said about people doing the best they can. But he had a lovely phrase. He said, I assume innocence. Mm-hmm. I just assume innocence. People, and then to, and then to add to it what you said, I think people are doing the best they can. If someone cuts you off in traffic, someone cut them off in life. And I just assume innocence and I wave them on. And I thought, God, just, wow, this is a, this has been wonderful, Merida. Thank you. <laughs> we never know where our conversations will go. I think I said that at the beginning because we just kind of tune into things and you pick up things I say or I pick up something you've said and then it just leads to uh, some remarkable insights. I'll give you a, a, just a quick example with my husband and me mm-hmm. where something that could become a really contentious thing, as small as it is, we now laugh at it. And that is we have a hardwood floor in our kitchen. And it used to be when I would load the dishwasher, I would splash water on the floor. I wasn't as careful as I could be. And my husband is the builder. I mean, he's a residential builder. He's retired now, but I mean, he knows what happens to a wood floor when it gets water on it and it stays on it. And so he would get so aggravated with me. I could, he would just go, and when he would do that, I knew I had spilled water. And so, you know, I, I just made a commitment. I'm going to do my best not to spill water, but it may still happen at times and, you know, just don't get hung up. Well, we finally decided to call him. He's the water police, you know, and just laughed at it. And so now when he goes to grab something to wipe it up, I just grin and laugh and, and we don't, we make light of it because, um, it, it used to really bother him. And one of the things I had to realize was he wasn't really being picky. He came from a home where they didn't have a lot. And so everything to him, if you don't take care of it, it's saying, I don't care. You know, and that mm-hmm. kind of attitude is painful for him. So when I came to mm. respect where he was coming from with his reaction and not take it personally, it goes back again to saying, realizing his perspective and respecting it and then thinking, all right, how can we get past this? So it's not an ongoing thing because I still spill water years later. I still do that no matter how I try because that's just what happens. Well, see, and again, Meredith has just pointed out, see, she's so humble. She wouldn't, 
realize that she is also a fountain of wisdom. And, um, uh, but, you know, when, when she was saying that, well, when I paused to think of where he was coming from, you know, his childhood, and I could see that his not having much, that it was important to take care of things because you didn't have much. And when you looked at his looking at the water as not taking care of things, it just allowed you to let go of taking it a different way. Mm-hmm. And, and, and again, I think the teachable moment is, is to ask ourselves, um, uh, where, is the, where is the other person coming from? Mm-hmm. Uh, how are they viewing the situation? And how is it they came to view it that way? And, um, and by doing that, Mark, what's happening then is you become curious instead of defensive. Absolutely. You don't feel attacked. You're wanting to understand where are they coming from, what's behind what they're saying. And Mm -hmm. so if you adopt that kind of a, and I like the word humble, when you don't assume you know the answer because you're open to a better understanding, a deeper understanding of this other person, I think they can sense that. I had a conversation recently with someone who was not happy with the change we had made in one of our policies. And he started out pretty aggravated about it. And then I was just listening and asking questions and also explaining where we were coming from. And I mean, by the end of the call, he was, he was so happy, you know, he was just in a really good place. And part of it was before that call, I was just wanting to serve him. You know, and, and, and so when I can have that as my focus, I'm setting aside the need to defend or sound like I'm defensive. You know, people pick up on these little things in terms of how we are. But if I am calm and not feeling threatened and able to be responsive to concerns the other person brings up, then we can have a genuine conversation and an exchange. But when, if I had responded more agitated and my voice raised or, you know, these little things that happen, it would have escalated and become a very different kind of conversation. Yeah, well, that's true. Well, my friend, uh, this, this reminds me why we need to do this I know, I know, this is, it just always enriches me to have conversations with you, because see, you also are really good at affirming me, that feels great, so thank you for your gift to me. You know, I feel like (laughs) I'm flashing on the movie um, As Good As It Gets with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt, Mm -hmm. and there's a famous scene where he says to Helen Hunt, and he's his curmudgeon self, and she's just the salt-of-the-earth waitress. And he sits down with her, and I think you'll remember the scene, and he says, because I'm replaying this with you, you're Helen Hunt, and I'm Jack Nicholson, and I'm closer to that character than I want to admit. And so what he says to Helen Hunt is he says, I got a compliment to give you. And she looks at him and says, I don't know that I like where this is going. And he says, no, you're going to like it. It's going to be great. Don't worry. And she's kind of like this. 
and he says, you know, I have this condition. I have to take medicine for it. I hate medicine. I mean, I really hate medicine. I mean, I hate medicine with a capital H. It's my Jack Nicholson. And I started taking medicine. And she leans in, and, and there's a beautiful scene. You, you can see it on YouTube. And she leans in, she says, I don't see how this is a compliment. And then I'll do, I'll do my Jack Nicholson impersonation. And he says, he says, you make me want to be a better man. <laughs> you make me want to be a better person, Meredith. <laughs> oh, Mark, thank you. That's, that's quite a compliment. I appreciate it. And I appreciate you. I appreciate you. You're as good as it gets. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now head over to growstrongleaders.com to learn how our tools can increase your impact with clients and expand your business. And while you're there, grab our free ebook, The Five Secrets to Getting Better at Anything. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell. Make it a great day.